Hey, welcome to Church on the Move Men's Breakfast. You know, the only thing missing here is the breakfast, at least where I am. Maybe you're having breakfast, but anyway, it's good to have you with us. Johnny Hampton, thank you so much for assembling these guys and putting all this together. We're going to go right ahead into our talk, and I want to talk to you about taking advantage of these difficult times to grow and to gain ground. And I know that may seem like it's totally impossible right now, but I want you to listen to what we see here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, all right? Verse 9 says this, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And then I want to skip down to verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And then our final verse is verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Most of us never even think this way, and I didn't until I heard someone teach this, and and it really made a big impact on my life. But I want you to think about the two very different kinds of knowledge that come to us in this world. And the first is what we would call sense knowledge. We gain knowledge through our five physical senses, hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, smelling. We have those five senses and we we obtain knowledge through those. Those things make an impression on our brain. They're very much like a microphone. Uh, They pick up a sound and it throws it to the brain and then we hear it and understand it, file it away and we learn the stove is hot, don't touch that. Mm, That smells like something dead, stay away from that. Uh, So we we learn through all of these physical senses or, "Mm, man, my wife's cooking something great, I'm going to go into the kitchen. So we we, we are are programmed through those five physical senses. Here's where the problem is. Uh, How do you program God? How do you find God? How do you see opportunities that God has if you're using only these five physical senses? There are times when you can know something in your heart, but you don't yet know it in your head. You sense something is out there that God has for you, but you don't don't know how to make a connection with that thing. You have to learn how things are spiritually discerned. And there is another kind of knowledge altogether, and it's called... Uh, spiritual knowledge, revelation knowledge. That is, the Holy Spirit can reveal something to your heart. And we've got so many instances of this in the Bible. There was a guy who came to the temple when Jesus was eight days old and when he was presented to the Lord. And his name was Simeon. He was a wonderful man, but he trusted God and it was revealed to him. He had this knowledge inside. Nobody told him. He didn't see it. He didn't feel it, smell it. It was a knowledge that he had inside him by the Holy Spirit that he was not going to die until he had seen the Messiah. And so he comes to the temple and he sees this baby and he knows that's him. 
that's the Messiah. And he goes over and he prays for Mary and Joseph, prays about the baby, and he says, now to the Lord, let me depart in peace. Apparently he was an old, old, old man, and he was waiting for this time, and he died shortly after that because he had seen the Messiah. But he knew that by something that was in his heart, not because of something he found with the sense knowledge. So if you're going to walk with God, and that's what 1 Corinthians 2 tells us, that God has things prepared for you. Your eye hadn't seen it, your ear hadn't heard it. It hadn't entered into your heart what God has prepared for those of you who love him. And so many times people uh, take this and use this to teach about heaven. We hadn't seen, we hadn't imagined, we haven't heard all the great things that God has for us in heaven. Well, that's partly true, but that's not really what this is talking about. This verse is talking about things that are available to us now. And what I want to say to you is if you're going to receive from God through revelation knowledge, you have to reshape your thinking and let God's word be a factor in how you make decisions and how you see life. And I want to show you an illustration in the Old Testament from some guys who got it exactly wrong, and we can learn from their mistakes. These are the men, 12 of them, and 10 of them got it wrong, two of them got it right. 12 men were sent by Moses to go into the land of Canaan to strategize, to gain information about how they were going to conquer this land. There was not supposed to be a question about whether or not they could do it. The only question is, how are they going to do it? So listen to what happened. Numbers 13, 17, then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or not, be of good courage, bring some of the fruit of the land. He is telling them, look, you go in there with a courageous attitude. You be positive about this. That's what he was saying. Because if you go into it with a negative attitude, you will see no opportunity at all. And I got to tell you right now, there are loads of people, business owners, men who are responsible guys. We're responsible for our families. We're the primary breadwinners. I mean, our wives may have a wonderful job. And in most cases, though, we're the primary breadwinner. And we have a responsibility to our families. And so that weighs on us. What are we going to do? How are we going to make it? And it very well may be that your livelihood has been upended right now. Uh, you know, you're not collecting unemployment. You can't because you're a business owner. And so your business has kind of shut down. And so there may be a number of questions about what's going on right now in your financial life. And some of you maybe have some real concerns about your health because you're susceptible to this virus that's going around because you have underlying health conditions. And so how do we approach this new reality that we're in, at least for the next six to eight weeks? How do we approach this? And by the way, the new normal is going to happen after the six to eight weeks. I feel like we're going to be in crunch time here for another 
six to eight weeks, and then we'll see a transition period in the early summer, and then we'll get back to some kind of normalcy in the latter part of the year. But, but we've got to learn to look to God in all of it, in all of it. We can't just say, I can't have peace till I, there are good times. You've got to quit thinking like that. You can have peace right now. And so how should these guys have approached uh, the situation they were in? And what I want you to see is this story tells me that the negatives are really positives in disguise. Now, you've got to understand something. God led Moses and the children of Israel to this place. God led them here. Has God led you? Do you feel like God has led you to the place you were at up until the time that this crisis hit our country? Then if God led you to this place, he did not lead you to destruction, nor did he lead these guys to destruction. But they had to stop and think, wait a minute, God led us here. There must be something that we can do. Now, I want to stop for a minute. One way to wrap your mind around this is to think about a boxing manager. No boxing manager takes his young fighter and puts him up against the heavyweight champion of the world right away because he doesn't want to break the will and discourage the heart of his young fighter. He schedules fights with either other young boxers or has-beens, guys that are journeymen, that they know my guy can beat him. I'm not going to put my kid in a fight that he cannot win. You know that God thinks the same thing about us. In fact, 2 Corinthians tells us, or 1 Corinthians actually, chapter 10, says there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man, that God will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able. In other words, he will never let you go into a fight that you cannot win. You can win every fight you get into. So what God is saying to you is learn how to see victories when other people see defeat. So we're going to read this story here. And the Bible says, So they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamat. And that really doesn't matter. All it says is they crisscrossed the whole country. And they went up through the south, and the first place they came to was Hebron. Hebron. And Ahimon, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. In other words, Hebron was a very, very old city, and there were three giants living there at the time. So they come to this place called Hebron. And this was extremely significant because when you read the book of Genesis, you know that Hebron is not just an ordinary place. Hebron is the site of a burial place. And that burial place is the cave of Machpelah, where Abraham buried his wife, Sarah. She was the first one to go into that tomb, that cave. And then Abraham died. And so he was buried there by his sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Then Isaac and Rebekah died, and they were buried there. Uh, Jacob, whose name was also Israel, he was buried there. His wife, uh, Leah, was buried there. Rachel was not buried there. And had she been buried there, it would have messed up the symbolism of this time. She was buried in a different place in the land of Canaan. So here's what I want you to see. 
when these spies are coming back through Hebron, they should have known something. They should have recognized this is our home. Now, we personally have never been here, but this is our family ranch. Our great, 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 great grandfather Abraham bought this cave. He lived in this country. This is his territory. If you stop and you look at the people who were buried in this tomb, it's fascinating to just take the first Hebrew letter of each of their names. And the first one is Isaac. It's the letter Yod, uh, Yishak. And, and it is uh, the first, uh, this letter Yod is the first one we will come to. Then there is Sarah. And it's the next letter, the S letter in Hebrew. There is the name Rebecca, the R letter. And then there is Abraham or Avraham. That's the Aleph in Hebrew. And then there is Leah, the L sound, Lamed. And so we've got I-S-R-A-L. And in Hebrew, you spell Israel that way. The L, Israel, that L sound is a, a vowel marking. So it takes five letters to spell Israel. And who's the sixth person buried in that tomb? Well, Jacob. And what's his name? Israel. So as they come by Hebron, there's this graveyard there, and it says, Israel, Israel. God is saying to them, guys, this is your country. Your name's on this twice. Other people have been here before. And this is what I want you to see. Golly, this is so important. Guys, you're not the first one to face this. You know, other guys have been wiped out in business, and it may not have been a national plague. It could have been just one facet of the economy that messed them up. You might have owned a video store at one time, and you know that's gone away, or you may have had a coffee shop, and Starbucks came in right across the street from you. And so you've already had your national uh, catastrophe, and it may be just you, but you had to face some change that came along. But God was still with you. And what I want you to see is God is with us in this process. And we come from a long line of overcomers. We have a rich spiritual heritage. I mean, even though it may not be in your natural family, your spiritual family is filled with people who were able to take the darkest of times and turn them around. But you know what you got to do? You've got to learn to be spiritually minded. And when you factor God into, and his promises, when you factor that into your situation, you're going to see some amazing opportunities in the darkest of times. And I want to show you that from this passage of scripture, this story here. All right, now let's keep reading. The scripture says, so they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. And they came back to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and they showed them the fruit. And uh, they said, you know, we, we came back from the land where you sent us. And uh, it truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. Then these grapes were the size of softballs. I mean, it was just amazing. But then they got negative, 10 of the guys did. And they said, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified. Sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it? 
These people don't live in tents. They're not going to be easy to overcome. We're not going to catch them in teepees out on the open plain. These people live in these big, huge cities behind big, stout walls, and they are fortified cities. These people live in fortified places. Now, they saw that as a negative, but it wasn't a negative. It was an incredible, incredible positive. And here's why. These people did not get along with each other. The reason they built those cities and the reason they fortified those cities is because they did not get along with their neighbors. Which means if you're a military strategist that you do not have to fight the whole country. You do not have to fight the whole population. You can concentrate one city at a time and you can take over one city and then go to another and then go to another. It's an, another way of putting all of your energy, your strength, and your focus into one sharp razor edge, and, and nothing can stand up to that. I want you to think about using an axe to chop down a tree. You think about this for a minute. When you take your axe and you sharpen that blade, and you really get it narrowed down to a really fine point, and you've got a long handle which gives you leverage, and you swing that axe, and the head of that axe on its edge hits the tree, you're going to make an impact. Why? Because you are able to focus on one small spot on that tree. You're focusing on a razor's edge spot on that tree, which gives you a distinct advantage. And that's what God was showing them. That's what they should have seen. We do not have to fight the whole country. Now, later on, the Roman Empire would rise up. And anybody who knew anything about Rome would know that if you fight one little town in the Roman Empire, you've got to fight them all. They will not let this go. They will bring their troops from all over the empire to fight you. You will have to fight all the Romans if you fight one Roman. But that's not the way it was here in Canaan. These guys were not trusting of each other. This was not a negative. It was an incredible positive. All right? They said, the cities are large. In other words, they said, the country's full. It's full of people. The whole country's populated. Everywhere we look, there are cultivated fields. There are cities. There are villages. These people have been farming. They're everywhere. What should that say? That's another positive. Basically what it says, this land is big enough to feed you and all of your families. God didn't bring you into a ghost town. Think about this for a minute. Suppose they had come into a land that was completely empty and completely undeveloped. How bad would that have been? I mean, think about just the small number of people who came to Massachusetts on the Mayflower and they landed at Plymouth Rock. They had no shelters. They had no crops. They, they didn't know what they were doing. The, the, the first winter, many of them died because of exposure. They didn't have good food to eat. Uh, so, so these people were coming into a place that was fully, fully developed. And they were coming at the right time of the year. The time of the grapes is in the springtime. They're going to come in at harvest time and they're going to be able to eat from the fruit of the land. So what I want you to see is that this thing that they said was a negative was not a negative at all. It was a highly populated land, but that's good because that means 
We know this country can take care of us. It can take care of our families. It's big enough to supply all of our needs. Then they said, we saw the descendants of Anak, the three giants there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Now they're talking about seven different groups of people. In other words, we saw seven different groups of people. And they said, we saw giants there. Well, the seven groups of people reinforces the idea that this is not a unified country. This is a very diversified country. These people don't get along with each other. So if you fight the Amorites, the Jebusites aren't going to help. So you get to tackle this one thing at a time. And you know what else? We hear all the time, and it's, it's so pervasive that even modern-day preachers continue to say it. I used to do it all the time, and I learned to quit saying it. The land was full of giants. No, it wasn't. Just use your head. These 12 spies went through that country, and they were there for 40 days. They went from the top to the bottom. They went everywhere they wanted to go, and nobody spotted them. They were able to pass freely. Why? Because they were the same size as the people who lived there. Not all the people. There were a few giants, but not everybody was a giant. If everybody who lived in the land of Canaan was a giant, as we've been taught sometimes to believe, then these guys would never have been able to make it as spies. The minute they come in, the giants all say, hey, look, get the little guys. And that did not happen. So what I want you to see is they had a tremendous opportunity before them because they can do this one step at a time. And then the last thing I want you to see is they begin to complain about the land. Verse 32, And the children of Israel gave them a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone through as spies is a land that devours the inhabitants. Okay? That means that there was a plague taking place. And loads of these people were dying off. And so there was already a payback coming to these people for their wickedness. So everything that they mentioned was really a positive in disguise. God set the fight up. He staged this just for the people. But these 10 men couldn't accept it. You know why? Because they focused more on the obstacle than they did the opportunity. And this is what I want to leave you with. Are you seeing obstacles or do you see opportunities? Every great opportunity comes with a set of obstacles. But those obstacles can be overcome. The key to overcoming an obstacle is that you don't overcome every obstacle at once. You overcome each obstacle one by one. So during this time, if your livelihood has been affected, if your finances have been hit, if your strategies are now you question what you're going to do, let me just say this. Find one step, just one step. I built everything that God gave me in ministry by taking one simple step. Years ago, God put it into my heart to publish a curriculum. When he told me to do it, my salary was $10,000 for the whole year. That was in 1977. 
the curriculum that I would publish was going to cost $50,000. That's five times my annual salary. God led me to that place. It was overwhelming. I had no idea how, but I did know that it was going to happen. Just didn't know what steps to take. My first thoughts were to try to find $50,000, but that was a fool's errand because there's no way I could find, with my resources, background, experience, and channels, no way I can find $50,000 in a lump sum. So I had to learn to reorder my thinking. What step can I take to begin to approach this goal? And I took inventory of everything that I had, and the one thing I had was some knowledge about how to teach kids. And so I took my knowledge and turned it into six cassette tapes. And this was during the season of cassette tapes and everybody was buying cassette tapes. People were, were addicted to cassette tapes. And I created a six tape series called Ministering to Children and began to sell it. And I sold enough of those tape series to begin to pay for the first process in the publishing of my curriculum. I finally got all the way around to the time of printing. I paid for all the typesetting, the artwork, all of the different things, the editing, all of the, what would take to get this curriculum out the door. The only thing left was the printing. And when we got that far, God provided. Listen to me. There's a wonderful story in the New Testament about how 10 lepers came to Jesus and they asked him for healing, and he said, go show yourself to the priest. And that's the step you would take to get out of quarantine if you had leprosy. And the Bible says, as they went, they were cleansed. A lot of times, we don't want to start the journey till we've got everything we need. And that's not how God leads. There are times when you got to start, and God didn't ask you to go beyond your supply. But he is saying, start with what's in your hand. It may not be everything you need, but start with what's in your hand. And that's what I did. And guys, I want to ask you to do that. Start with what is in your hand. What is it? What step can you take? It may be very simple, but there's a step somewhere. I'm not going to presume to tell you what it is because I don't know. I've seen God give amazing steps to people. I trust the Holy Spirit. I trust him to teach you. I'm asking him right now to teach you what your step is. And I don't know that you have to walk out of this meeting with, with all of the knowledge of everything you're going to do. I can't say that I've ever had that in anything God's ever led me to do. But I didn't need that. All I needed was my step. Father, I pray for the men of Church on the Move that you would give them the first step in the new strategy that you have for them to provide for their families. It may be a simple, simple step, and I pray they do not overlook it because of the step of simplicity. God, open their eyes and give them that ability to see opportunity. And I thank you for all the good things it's going to do in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, fellas. We're gonna come out of this and we're going to come out of it, some of us in better shape, some of us with a new determination, some of us are going to see new opportunities. We may not be able to act on those till after there's a turn, 
but we're going to do something different. And I got to tell you that every great company, every great business, every great career, it starts in here. It does not start out there. It doesn't start with all the stuff. It doesn't start with the stuff. Everything you see at Church on the Move, you know what it started with? It started with one nylon green sock that somebody gave me for Christmas. Pair, actually. But I wasn't about to wear that nylon green, uh, neon green sock. I wasn't going to wear that. And... But I'll tell you what I did do with it. I made a puppet out of it. I didn't have a puppet stage, but I had a cardboard box. And I had some buttons, and I found some felt, and I made a mouth for that puppet, and that's what I started with. That was my very first ministry tool. I had nothing but a neon green sock. And everything else came after. That's how God works. It's a tiny little seed that we put in the ground. And then something great comes out of it. That's what God's going to do for you. He is no respecter of persons. What he did for me, he'll do for you. Take the step. Start looking for the step. And if you don't have it, thank God. Thank God and worship him because he's going to show you what to do. Thank you for joining us at this men's breakfast. I hope your breakfast was better than mine. I hadn't had it yet. But I'm getting ready to go home and eat. God bless. Thanks.